What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode three of the High Bar Podcast. As always, my name is Sean Noriega, and rather than as a guest today, I am here to introduce the first of many interviews we will be conducting in a mini-series here on the High Bar Podcast. Today, Coach Michael Jinn will be interviewing Coach Chance Mitchell for an opportunity for our listeners to learn more about the man behind the monster deadlift, which Chance would like to remind you is well over 800 pounds, in case you didn't know. Today they discuss topics such as his passion for sports, how he got into video games, and where he sees his powerlifting career going from both an athletic and a professional standpoint. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. By the way, Chance would like to remind you his deadlift is well over 800 pounds. Thanks for thanks so much for joining me today. And you know, today uh, I wanted to have the opportunity to just ask you questions about you know who you are as a lifter, as a person, and just kind of the history of like what got you into the sport of powerlifting, as well as you know what leads you to be in a position you are today as you know arguably one of the you know top five lifters in your weight class um, for and especially as a deadlift record holder as well. Um, so you know, tell me about like. Who was Chance in his childhood? Like, what was he like? You know, how did he get into sports? You know, what was kind of that first exposure for you? So I grew up um, North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area. I have played all different kinds of sports. I I think the only sport that I didn't play growing up was probably soccer. Uh, but everything else, like I loved baseball. I loved football. Um, those were my, my two sports that I really enjoyed. Uh, track. It was one that was in high school um, and then just kind of like focused on the strength and conditioning side of the sports. And like, you've probably heard the same story from so many different athletes mm-hmm. of them going into like football or baseball or whatever, and then finding, you know, a gateway to in, into powerlifting because of that, like the strength and conditioning in, in Texas, especially Texas high school football. Um, and just that like basically breeds like two people, I, I would say is like, you have the D1 athlete and then you have like, you know, the people that are like the secondaries or whatever. And <laughs> like, you know, they still are, you know, good players, obviously. Um, but like they, they're really just in there, like grinding away at their bodies. And usually in Texas, it's like this next man up uh, type of mentality. If someone gets hurt, then cool. We got someone else coming right in. Um, and so I think, that all cultivated into me becoming like way more interested in the strength and conditioning side of the sports uh, in high school. Uh, but you know, but like football was always, always my thing. Uh, and I, and I still kind of watch NFL a little bit, but um, yeah, that's kind of like, you're, you're a, a Hawks fan, if I remember correctly, right? Because Sean always uh, gives you the, the memes on it from, from Fal- back in the day. Falcons. 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 Oh, okay, Falcons. Yeah, yeah. And what got, uh, so like, this is my question there. Um, I, like, <clears throat> uh, to give you a little background about myself, um, my family, we didn't grow up watching sports or anything like that. Obviously, the most sports we watched was when South Korea makes the World Cup and then every four years, <laughs> and then we just kind of te- like casually watch it with my dad cheering on, you know, not even really understanding the rules like in, in Texas technical detail. So um, when I got into college and I started watching more sports, I got more into NBA, just so you know, and I'm obviously a big Rockets fan. Um, but other than that, like I never got that exposure to football that I wish I could have. And I'm I'm getting into it more often now, especially because uh, University of Houston, we made it to the championship game. We got destroyed by Cincinnati recently, but that's been kind of getting me more into it. What got you to become like a Falcons fan? And I'm always curious to hear like how other people just get into becoming a fan of like a team that they really support. Yeah. Do you like, are you saying also because the Falcons are not in D- Dallas, like Fort Worth? Yeah, exactly. Cause yeah. I think, you know, most locals are, you know, supporting the Cowboys or in Houston, obviously the Texans aren't doing very well, but you know, they're, they try to be loyal. Right. Yeah. I think it's usually like people that, you know, I'm a Falcons fan. It's from Atlanta, Georgia. So um, family that's over there. Right. And so like, I would go to the games all the time. Like I've been, every year for the last X years until this last year, because of COVID stuff. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, man, like I, I, I would have, if I could pick like another team, like to be my, my team, like uh-huh. I, no one wants to be a Falcons fan. Like no one really, really wants to be like diehard Falcons fan. They always let us down. Like it's, you know, it's calling it kind of like the Cowboys as of late, you know, even the last like 15 years. Uh, but the, but, the Cowboys, I mean, the Falcons never had any Super Bowl rings like the Cowboys did <laughs> from years ago. So yeah, um, there's not a lot of, 
like pride in that, you know, like the Steelers from years ago, right? Like, you know, um, Patriots, you know, there's no real pride in, in being a Falcons fan. And um, for, for most, for most of the time. So it's like this, I'm this diehard fan of this team that I know is always going to be trash that will never be good. And they never make good decisions. And it's like, like <laughs> do, that's kind of why uh, I'm probably not into football right now. <laughs> I see. Do you, do you think that's kind of how it's like for, you know, when, every time I go to New Orleans, it's like, you know, I see cars and houses with saints decals and logos literally on their house. Um, and obviously the fanship there is really strong. Do you feel like it's kind of the same for the locals the there? Where, exactly yeah, so they're, they're south man all all those southern teams they are everything it's it's either like in that area um it's like georgia bulldogs um it's uh like georgia tech it's uh-huh. you know all all the louisiana teams lsu obviously is huge and you know auburn it's like it's their the college teams i think puts a another next level on the priority list um over the nfl stuff but but all sports stuff you know obviously i see yeah i think i think one uh thing i saw like a couple months back for people who didn't know like in, in uh, new orleans there was like a big flood and when they would do the news reports and literally like 90 95 of the city didn't have power like at the very end the reporter would sneak in so uh you know the people were asking are the saints going to still play <laughs> you know i was like that's hilarious they don't even have power in the city yet and people are still you know wondering if they're going to be able to watch the saints so yeah that's, oh, that's you're talking about katrina I don't think it was Katrina. I think this oh, okay. was like this was like a, this year. It oh, wasn't gotcha. a storm that was as bad, but obviously, like I think when I was driving through months after it happened, there were still like road signs that were like down or like trees like all over that people were still cleaning up. So it wasn't it wasn't a uh, it was still taking some time to recover, but people were still excited to watch sports and you know make that a priority amongst that. Uh, so so going back to kind of like high school, I know you said football kind of became your you know sport of choice. Um, what, what, what was it like uh, while you were playing? Like, do you feel like, you know, you were a decent standout player? And then I know the kind of the, the joke of high school coaching is, you know, they push the football kids too hard to where a lot of them get injured or like in the weight room, you know, they're not giving you the best advice. So like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it just was brutal. I mean, everything was brutal in terms of how like they condition you and like running, for so long and then cool we're gonna lift weights and actually take this seriously and be destroyed before you even get to to training and then obviously the weight especially like in high school football they Mm -hmm. don't really have a good hold uh, of things if if we're putting it lightly um (laughs) you know it was very kind of trial by fire exactly yeah and and uh when you were lifting in high school did you feel like you already were like wow like i'm kind of stronger than the average kid in the room or, or but so absolutely what, what was not it like that? absolutely not um it because of like i think it's you know I'm, I'm sure sean may feel similarly maybe not quite similarly but like i'm someone that if i'm doing something it's 110 percent or it's like nothing and mm. at that time it was kind of like football or you know whatever other sport like track or whatever was the priority and then the act like the lifting stuff was just like a secondary and so like eventually it switches you know mm. and then you're okay now like this is like all i want to push and then you get kind of stronger it's and and also i i was um one of the youngest kids in like my my class so i was like um like august birthdays usually those birthdays during that year you're either one year older than everybody else basically or the youngest by far and like i was like a late bloomer in terms of that so like i was very small very like um like i was five five but it kind of like like i've always been like bigger boned or like heavier ish um but i wasn't a big kid at all or or very strong in high school at all i see you know there's a crazy stat i think they've done research on where like um it's like the age or what month they were born uh for like the sport that they play and the kids that are obviously at the oldest range uh, are obviously have a huge advantage probably like a nine to ten month growth advantage over like someone who's on like you said i'm also an august birthday as well so i remember my birthday is the 26th so it'd be like right when school starts the teacher awkwardly gives me like a pencil saying happy birthday kid i don't know you yet but here you go so i definitely yeah. can uh share 
share that. So um, when was that shift for you when you started, you know, playing football, you were really serious about that. And then you realized, okay, like, I'm not going to play at either collegiate or NFL level. Now I think lifting is going to be kind of the thing. When did that kind of happen for you? I think it was, it was transitioning out of high school. I, I wanted to go to the Air Force. Um, so that was something maybe we could talk about. Um, I, I, I signed up for the, like, I actually swore in, uh-huh. um, did everything uh, in like the MEPS or like, um, like, I was in the daily or what's it called a delayed entry program, the DP uh-huh. program. And you basically are doing all the physical, you know, uh, assignments. You're doing all the actual work, all mm. the, um, like the daily check-in or the weekly check-in stuff and like making sure everything is, is on board for you to, uh, ship out to boot camp at X time. Uh, and you know, I, at the time I was, you know, in shape, obviously very in, in, in shape. And I was really focused on like lifting stuff too. Um, so I was in very good shape, but I was heavier. And I think at the time the cutoff for my height, uh, was like 160 something or 170 really? something. Wow. Uh-huh. hundred percent. And like you were like, it felt ridiculous. Cause I was like one eighties, one ninety at the time. And like, I was very lean still and not, mm-hmm. you know, r- you know, fat, I mean, comparatively speaking to like powerlifting now, right? Like not up there yet, but definitely not, you know, fat or really out of shape. And mm-hmm. so um, I I was still in, they were like, great. As long as you're doing all this stuff, everything's fine. You are you know doing well in the physical programs. You, you um, did really well on your ASVAB, all that kind of stuff. Uh, everything was set for me to go. And then at the very end of like a year in the program waiting for a, a the next uh, spot for me to become available. Uh, They're like, Nope, you're still too heavy. And really? like, wow. you still can't, you know, we're not gonna be able to get you in at this time. And like, after waiting a year, I don't, I don't think you could go any longer in that you would have to re go through the whole process again. And it's a pain in the ass. Like, obviously. yeah, yeah. That, I, I didn't realize they had such a strict weight cutoff. It reminds me of this. Uh, I don't even remember why I watched this video, but it was like the national army recruiting in India. And they would have like this doorway with like a, a height limit. And if the guy was too short as they're walking through, they're like, nope, they would push him out and be like, you can't get in. And everyone was like commenting, like that's probably the most nerve wracking part of their process is like the height clearance. And uh, yeah, yeah but like the weight cutoff of being that low like so at the time for you like in order to make that weight would it have been an unreasonable kind of cut for someone growing you know as like an 18 year old yeah so like i I mean i in powerlifting i've always competed so in 2013 to 2015 the end of 2015 i was an 83 kilo lifter Um, and i would always cut a significant amount to to go down to that weight class and it was just not a good experience for me Mm -hmm. uh even though i was you know, didn't have that much muscle or anything. I, I still did well, uh, but that weight was a little too much. And the the thing that you brought up about like the military standards being kind of off, like that seems yeah. like that's still too light. Um, Air Force is specifically lower. Uh, the actual weight like is so much lower depending on, you know, the height classes or the height and the BMI is much stricter. Uh, whereas, or at least at the time, uh, Marines were more, much more, uh, relaxed as long as the physical requirements are met. The Air Force was like, no, we need you to be in this specific shape of, you know, this person. It doesn't care. We don't care about the physical, you know, um, conditioning that you have or anything like that. And army, I think was the next biggest, uh, like liberal generous leeway that they gave out, uh, in terms of that. So the air force is more of the strictest one i, I would say uh but yeah there it wasn't realistic for me to try to go down any like to closer to 160 or something absolutely not i got you so then uh you, you know here you are waiting to kind of hear back from the air force it's not working out and then when does this kind of transition into competing more often start and then you, the realization that you're like hey i'm kind of good at this and i want to keep competing and you know compete at nationals so at the time in 2013, 2014, I don't know if you even remember what powerlifting was like at the time. Like, you know, there was no USAPL lifting database. There was no like good calendar system. The best calendar system was powerlifting watch. Uh, and so like, I only knew from about powerlifting from Matt Ogus and uh, like Steve Clova and Mike yeah. Peltz um from their like youtube stuff and that was the only thing i knew about powerlifting was was their stuff because i think for me 
it, it, I transitioned out of like high school, like watching a lot of the YouTube fitness stuff, Hodge twins, uh, Chris Jones, Matt Ogis, oh, all those people. Yeah. So I, I was really into that like side and that slowly was like, oh, okay, what are they doing with this? And they're doing this powerlifting thing. Okay. I'll, I'll look into that. Oh, this is really fun. And I don't have to just do like the same bodybuilding type training and kind of be bored with that. I could focus on some strength stuff and really challenge myself. So that was kind of how that happened. I got you. Yeah. So, you know, going kind of into your lifting history, then like now that you've gotten into the sport, started competing, I think squats for you, like when I just kind of take a look, were pretty consistent in terms of their growth for quite a long time. And then, you know, I think it was probably like a few years stride you had where you were progressing throughout this whole time. Did you realize, man, like, I'm a good responder to volume. Like I kind of need this big baseline of volume to push my squat or like, when did that kind of come into play? Cause I know that's something a lot of people are always curious to hear about with your training style. I always enjoyed doing higher rep training. Uh, so like the, the system that I would like that people I say would identify um, similarly to me would be something like a power building program in quotes. Mm -hmm. And I'm using quotes here like heavily, <laughs> um, where you would you do a lot more reps, you're still doing, you know, competition movements, but uh, the bulk of your training is like competition specific volume. Uh, and so, you know, kind of thinking from a bodybuilding perspective of like natural bodybuilding perspective, how many times or how many, you know, if you're doing a chest day or a push day, how many chest exercises do you do for three, four sets? Right. You're doing sometimes depending on who you're working out with or whatever, you're yeah. doing like eight exercises four four sets of 10 or eight or, you know, 12, maybe uh, you're doing some like occlusion blood flow restriction training. You're doing all, all kinds of shit, you know, That's so true, yeah. like you think of like, OK, how much overall volume is this really, you know, because it's machines and whatever other type of stuff. You know, and now trying to translate that closer to like bodybuilding or to powerlifting stuff and not feeling like, hey, that's all I did. <laughs> it's it's difficult, like when you're in that range. And so I was like, okay, I, I like this. And there's a way I can build from this. So for me, I already enjoyed training that way anyways. And it felt um, like the quote unquote period of the sub max um, type training where it's just, you know, handling, you know, volume. Um, that's not too intense that you're going to burn yourself out. Uh, and then building upon that, uh, with some good momentum, um, you know, I enjoy, I enjoyed it. And I think it's useful, especially for beginners and, you know, intermediates or earlier on in their powerlifting career. Right. You know, we always talk about, you know, the, the kids, I, I talk about this, at least is uh -huh. the, the kids are newer, newer powerlifters that are really hyper-focused on the very specific, um, highly refined powerlifting programming. And they're not focused about the bodybuilding, extra muscle building movements, um, and they neglect that. And yeah. they usually suffer the consequences from neglecting that. Uh, they I was just spin about their to wheels. add that. Yeah, yeah they, they spin their wheels or they they either get hurt doing some very specific powerlifting program that, you know, they probably don't need to do to squat, you know, 335 for the first time, right? <laughs> you know, it, it usually like that's, that's how I saw it. So I didn't even really start powerlifting specific specifically um, until I was squatting like 405 and until I was, you know, deadlifting like 500 plus regularly. I, I think uh, that's probably a sentiment most of us like on uh, the team Nori coaching stuff can share because a lot of us already had kind of a weight training background or a sports background prior to it. Jaron had wrestled. I had wrestled as well. We both were lifting weights. Sean had played baseball uh, pretty, pretty competitively as well. So I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of the viewers or listeners out there who kind of see, oh man, Chance squats all this weight now, you know, also need to, especially if they're the younger guys need to remember, well, you also played sports. You also had weight trained for many years before you even discovered powerlifting so you know that 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 kind of uh is something that i've always been curious about to see with lifters at a high level is how many of them have a sports background or something that can maybe play some role in just their early childhood development into training so uh, with that being said yeah i mean i think 
Uh, it, it's funny because uh, what you were saying, I feel like some of the people listening will feel targeted because they're like, what chance? Like if I do sets of sixes, that's already cardio for me. <laughs> or like uh, I would go watch like uh, the heavier weight classes and as they're deadlifting, they would do like a single and then like sit back down and kind of look like they're having difficulty breathing. And I was like, man, you guys are strong, but that's uh, that's not a good time to have when you're you know struggling to start to kind of warm up with some of the weight. So, you know, yeah. with, with the sub-max training, I think um, that's also something a lot of the younger kids, it's hard to ingrain into them when they're always like, I want to go hard. I want to push a PR and, you know, hit kind of that next stride. Um, so would you say like, is there anyone that inspired that programming for you? Or like, as you just kind of went on with your training, you were like, well, this is what's really working for me and I'm just going to stick with it. It was more of an experiment on yourself and kind of learning like, okay, you know, what if I do this? And I think people are often underwhelmed with just having productive sessions and not the session right where they you know they 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 don't stack the the smaller w's and you know especially it's probably because they haven't been training long enough to get hurt and not be able to train at all that they don't realize you know what productive sessions that are you know lower stress do for you like over the long period uh and so like you know just experimenting with that and, and trying that out you know you still and it's kind of almost this this style that we have now right where a lot of people have this like daily undulating like setup yeah uh, with some top sets and then some you know lighter back down volume it was it was very similar to that you know back then um and the top sets were like okay cool we can push those and then let's just do the work but make it easy you know and see how that goes I see. Then, then, um, kind of following along with that, I'm just looking at your history. I know bench press must've been a bit of a frustrating lift early on. And then, you know, I see, uh, I think the meet where I kind of saw a big change for you was like, it was, I believe it's called the Rocky mountain state games at that meet two raw nationals thereafter. Yeah. It was only about a three month difference. And you finally kind of put on like a 10 kilo uh, increase on your bench. And then since that meet onwards, your bench just kept going up and up both in your training that I saw, like you were regularly a 400 pound plus bencher. And then at meets you were regularly able to start posting that up. What was kind of the change there, the shift that really just propelled your bench from being kind of like your least favorite lift, I would imagine to now like being a pretty competitive lift. I think not worrying about it being bad and not always thinking about it being this lift that I hate doing that, it's mm-hmm. awful that I never want to do that. Why can't we just have squat and deadlift <laughs> and a meet and no bench? When you, I think when you break that line of thinking, it, it makes it much easier. Uh, there is a lot of it to do with like, like there are, there's definitely people that just are not, um, they don't have, they don't have that in, in them. They don't have like, some for some people it's their deadlift for some people it's their squat that no matter what they do it's always this slower lift um and you just have to put more time into it right like that Mm. is ultimately what it is it's either refining technique it's either working on muscle groups that are are clearly uh not doing enough that are are not you know strong enough uh or in, in my case i think it was probably most to do with uh technique and so I think again, back to back to this age of powerlifting, uh, 2013, 2014 technique doesn't exist. We're, we're just getting stronger. That's all we care about, right? Like technique doesn't really matter. It was almost like that as, as silly as that sounds, it was legitimately closer to that. Like there, there were some things that, oh, wow, you should try doing this. Okay. That works out. And, but it was not as fleshed out as it is now in terms of like, what we find standard in terms of like bench technique right like we could go to almost any powerlifting gym now in the united states and find you know one we could find girls bench pressing right Mm -hmm. and we can see girls bench pressing with effective efficient technique using good leg drive position with an arch this all all three of those things i just said are Uh unheard of back then like to to find anybody that did that was very very rare 
Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think when I got to meet some of these international lifters, whether uh, in Japan or uh, from Germany, um, the European lifters, it almost seemed like in Japan, like when they look at lifters like Daiki Kodama, they kind of treat him as like the grandmaster of a martial arts school. And then everyone's kind of coming to his gym as if it's like a martial arts dojo. And they're like learning from him as if like, and they really respect the lift. Like they treat bench press like this is a, a very respectable movement to you know master rather than I think in America, like you said back in the day especially it's kind of just that bro lift or that nfl combine lift or just the chest building lift even though i would argue and say it's not even the best you know a barbell dude, for chest dude the way the way you said that the way you said i was like you are so right like this is the the asian grandmaster <laughs> teaching the the student you that's exactly how it was that's it that's but except here we're like nah you just get stronger it's fine yeah and and <laughs> i think i think uh the the cool thing is they've had that for such a long time and they're yeah. so ahead and accelerated and like treating it that way i think I had a chance to talk to some of those Japanese lifters who spoke English. And I said, like, what do the lifters in your country think about arching or setting up or technique? And they said, of course, the average person who doesn't know about powerlifting, they'll kind of give you some odd looks in the gym. But almost every powerlifter in Japan knows it's a respectable thing to, to be able to you know produce that. It's those comments of, oh, if I could arch, I could bench like that. And then everyone's always like, why don't you then, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and in Japan, they, they don't see it like that. Everyone respects it and says, if you can do it and you can maximize your bench, then all the power to you you're within the rules, you know, take it, take it at, and, you know, build upon that. So now I think, like you said, we're seeing in the recent years, like in, in America, wherever you go, you're starting to see more of these bench technicians or deadlift technicians start to like produce proper content and information on like, Hey, there's actually things like leg drive and, you know, setting up that you can improve. So um, for, for you then like programming wise, was there any real big difference or was it just more of that attention to the technique that really propelled your bench? Yeah, I mean, at the time when bench, so there was a period where I failed 281 pounds, four meets in a row. Like you could look oh, at my man. database and you'd be yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> I think that's and, in your archive database. I don't even think it's in the updated database. Anymore. Yeah, you're going to have to look at openpowerlifting.org for that one. Um, but yeah, at that time I was working with, uh, you know, an older older coach that, you know, didn't really teach too much on, on stuff like that and mm -hmm. uh, what's the refining things and um, so I, I started working with TSA and Eric Bodhorn. Um, we worked on, you know, specific stuff, but um, we both really evolved very quickly to to keep us up at that higher level. Um, and so like the, the technical stuff came along and that was like, okay, we really didn't need to focus on this. And, it, and again, it was kind of one of those things where once you break out of the mentality of, hey, you know, this is always going to be awful and bad forever then you can start giving more attention to it and care to it. Yeah. And things can start picking up and build a momentum. I see. Now, you know, that being said, I think deadlift is obviously your, your specialty lift. Everyone kind of knows you for, you know, recently you've had some really good uh, just training sessions where you've pulled like incredible numbers as well as that meets. You've been pretty consistent about putting these numbers up um, with, with the deadlift. Was that always kind of a lift where even just looking at your history, it looks like you've always been a fairly strong deadlifter. Was it a lift that came naturally to you? And then when was that like sumo that that iconic chance mitchell sumo when did that start to come out like were you initially a conventional deadlifter and then you switch or like when did that evolution happen uh well first off thank you um i i loved pulling conventional actually more than sumo in the beginning okay uh, and it was clearly not stronger <laughs> and that was again back this is back back then when technique didn't matter and we're just going to get stronger um that was kind of like okay like i already know that my technique is just feels much more natural with sumo even if it, the technique wasn't great um and then it was starting to to increase you know with time and you know cha just changing so many different variables trying different things experimenting i i think and i've talked to sean about this i think deadlift is one of the most momentum based movements Ooh. so like in terms of like how you program uh, um a full training cycle uh depending on how you think set things up deadlift can just be click just continuously yeah. go and it could be just because you found the right one thing you found you know just the the right intensity for you know x session and you just built momentum and you know it, it kind of feels like how how is this happening where sometimes like the actual weight 
on the bar, it doesn't, isn't really reflective of what you're doing or like what the force you're putting out. Because like, I think of sumo deadlift is especially this way. Like if you're engaging the deadlift correctly and you output X amounts of force, then you can lift X weight that you're connected to. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily pulling this weight up and you have to think about like how heavy this is. It, it almost, you can kind of like bypass that. Uh, where like for me, like, I don't, I don't have any grip issues. I don't have any issues with like injury. Mm -hmm. uh, like I could deadlift three times a week and I'll be fine. I don't ever feel my hips. I don't ever feel any strain on my body from anything with sumo deadlift. It's like the one lift that I could just train no matter what happens, right? Like there have been plenty of times where in prep I've hurt my back and I cannot squat at all, but deadlift oh. is completely fine. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy. I wish I had a, uh kind of that insight you you shared uh, back then, because I had a similar issue where, you know, I pulled conventional, hurt my back, got scarred and said, I'm going to shift to sumo because of that. And then at the time, you know, I ran through all these popular programs, I'm sure you've heard of and seen whether it's Shaco or, you know, just any of these type of programs like people can find easily online. And I think my problem was I kept setting my max at this like best number I hit and then everything I would always do, I would do these like four by fives or five by fives on deadlift and just be absolutely wrecked. Now I felt the same way as you were. I never really got injured from deadlift or felt like I couldn't pull, but I think just that high intensity where I was just doing way more than I should have been every single block. I was the one capping my own momentum. I would do well two weeks and third week I would just get really, really wrecked and be like, I'm not making any progress. And then finally, when I really dialed things back, um, started working with different coaches as well and kind of getting more ideas on, first of all, like establish a technique that works for you and then, you know, adjust the intensity accordingly. That's when my deadlift just, like you said, built momentum and I saw like almost an infinite feeling of progression. So yeah, that's really uh, cool to see like over your years, you still haven't really stopped that momentum. Your deadlift has been continuing to kind of rise and it almost seems like a, it's still, it's still like, doesn't like, we don't even know where the ceiling is at this point. So that being said, like, uh, I know a lot of people are wondering and asking, like, you know, now there's been this USAPL split from the IPF. There's these weight class changes that are, that are getting implemented in January. Um, for you, um, where do you kind of stand on seeing your future career in the sport? You're still very competitive as a lifter. Like what is your goal as a powerlifter at this point? Yeah. So I think what USA powerlifting is doing is really cool. I, I like that. It seemed at least you know, right now, the optics of the situation is that they definitely care ab about, you know, putting some money back into the Federation and the athletes that compete there. Mm -hmm. it, it seems very clear that they want to do that, whether they will continue to put it at the level that they are hoping for remains to be seen, like if, yeah. if they can continue to, to put that much money um, and if things are going to just go well. Um, there are definitely some like critiques that I have about uh, the way the whole thing went down. You know, I kind of talked about it on the podcast where it, it seemed like where if USA powerlifting would have been just completely honest about everything mm -hmm. and, you know, said like, Hey, you know, like it, it's not the fact that we're drug testing too much. It's the fact that we're doing it through this third party that they don't want at all. They want this and we, can only do our drug testing this way and explained it that way and explained a little bit more on that, it would have been easier for me to be like, yeah, I know you guys are doing the right thing. And and I still believe USA powerlifting is doing the right thing in the mm. grand scheme of things. I, I believe that, you know, for the most part, USA powerlifting eliminates most of the cheating. Um, I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent clean. I don't think anything can be a hundred percent clean. Uh, but I, I would say that, um, the new powerlifting America Federation will likely be as they describe um, where we don't have a very good OMT system outside of uh, the IPF's WADA um, registered testing pool, I think. And now with the separation that can yeah. kind of be a little bit more, um, what's the word? Like, not it's, 
it's difficult to like create the logistics to make it up because I know in at least right. the USAPL, we have a lot of established referees who's, who's been in the sport in that fed for over a decade. And, um, you know, usually they're kind of called upon as the veterans to say, Hey, like we have this out of meat guy, we need a test. Can you be the one to go ahead and administer the test? I, I would imagine in PA, um, the lack of staffing maybe it would be something at least at the national level. Like I'm not sure how they would even implement that. So that, right. that might be the cause for concern there. Yeah. But so who knows how that's going to end up being? Uh, I do think that for the most part, USA powerlifting and the new federation will, will be fairly clean. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, my main thing is that I want to compete at IPF worlds. I have always wanted to compete at IPF worlds. I, I have always wanted to um, compete in the closest thing that powerlifting will have to the Olympics. Um, and that is an IPF raw worlds. Uh, obviously it's not the same. It, it probably will never happen quite like that. Um, but I, I definitely want to say that I've at least competed there, have meddled or placed X and have won, you know, worlds or whatever I can never end up saying. Um, because if, you know, I know that like, if I go back 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, if I go back five years ago and I knew I have the option or mm -hmm. the ability potentially to do it, I, I would be like, there's no way you're not doing this. You know, and the same thing, like in 15 years, it would be nice to at least say that I did, you know, yeah. maybe after the first time I'll be like, yeah, you know, I wanted to go back to USA powerlifting. You know, I, I think it just makes the most sense here. The most, you know, um, depth that we have yeah. in terms of athletes. Uh, but for me, right. Like, Who's number one in the 93 kilo weight class? Jonathan Keiko, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure he wants to continue to compete there, to compete yeah. at Powerlifting America or Worlds or, you know, the international. Um, you know, the next one is Gustav Hedlund. He's number two, clearly to me. Um, you know, he's right there with, with Keiko, almost beat him at Worlds. Yeah. Um, he's right there. He's from Sweden. You know, that's also an IPF affiliate, right? That I have to go through IPF to beat one of those two. Um, I would have to, like Gavin, Aiden, is probably closer to being closer to the number three spot, depending on what happens, right? Yeah. He's also wanting to go with USVI or Powerlifting America or the IPF, right? What incentive <laughs> do mm -hmm. I have it, to, like, try to go down to 90 and probably get worse, you know, probably not put up the best numbers, um, or go up to a hundred where I'd have to substantially get much, 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 oh, much, yeah. much stronger fast. Whereas I'm not ready for that weight class yet. So those are kind of how I, how I think about things. Uh, to me, it just makes the most sense. Uh, whereas some people like I've had athletes of mine, they're like, Hey, I know you're really interested in doing powerlifting America. You know, should I do it too? And probably the answer is going to be no. Right. Probably the answer is going to be USA powerlifting makes the most sense for you. Yeah. You know, until you are in this point where you're in this particular situation that I'm in, it's probably not worth it. Right. Like there's so many more options locally or even like at the national level than what powerlifting America will have to offer, at least in the near future. Right. The near future is going to have powerlifting America nationals and maybe one other meet. And that will be mostly it. I, yeah. I don't see too much else. So that's how I see things. It's a pretty logical answer. And I think that's what, um, you know, Sean and a lot of these other high level lifters kind of share is, um, do we want to either go the direction of like going to this drug tested money meet where we have the opportunity to make some income off of, you know, the fact that we are drug tested, drug free, presumably, and then compete? Or do we want to go up against all these other guys that are at the top level and just show out of that pool of the top five, top 10 that I can be the one to represent the country and then go to that world level? And like you said, compete against those international lifters. You had something to say? The, the, you, you brought it up. Um, so the pro meet, right? Yeah. Do you know, like in the USA powerlifting pro meets, they still do random drug testing. They don't do specific oh, really? people. So for an example, right? If X person wins X money, he still may not get tested. That to I me see. is insane. Dang, that is, I didn't realize you know that. that, that I, yeah. At those like Virginia pro meets or anything like that. And I'm not saying any names because I believe, you know, the people that are yeah. winning are clean. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that, that there, there should not be random at that point if you're giving $10,000, you know, $20,000 to people, yeah. you definitely should not be randomly drug testing play the eighth place person test the person that won who cares if the cheater, you know, got through and placed fifth, 
Mm-hmm. How do you crazy? feel? Yeah, I mean, how do you feel then about like how once USPA enacted like their drug tested side, I think they go strictly by the top 10% dots of the meat is in order who gets tested. How do you feel about that kind of comparison? I think it's fine. But I, the reason why I don't even really think that USPA drug testing is relevant is because uh-huh. they don't have an OMT system at all. Mm, I see. So yeah, then everyone can just like cycle on and off and then, you know, choose to do a meet or... I mean, there's a lot of people in that camp, on the untested camp, that would say, well, hey, it's it's drug tested, not drug free. Mm -hmm. And because they don't have, like, they have a time window that they could cut off their their gear and then go and compete. Like, that's a horrible argument if you want to be like, yeah, (laughs) let's just have a drug, drug test at the meet and then that's it. And then you're free to go. You know what I mean? Well, uh, yeah. Well, I, I have a I have a curious question for you then. So, like, uh, I I don't know uh, where it, the status of it currently stands, but I know like a compound like terkesterone was something that was like popular. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, like more plates, more dates, and a couple other guys could that were covering it. And technically, I think it was on the WADA watch list and it was not uh, banned officially. Um, I believe it's like a plant-derived anabolic. So, you know, it's this kind of weird line of like, the way I see it is, okay, like if you take it, can you even say you're natty anymore because you are technically taking a plant-derived steroid. But at the same time, uh, if you got drug tested, completely fine, I suppose, because it's not banned officially. And uh, it, a lot of the people I've read on forums are saying, oh, like I see some results. I see some benefits from taking it, although we don't really have any long-term research on it. Like, how do you feel about those gray area compounds like terkesterone? Okay, how about we go even more of a broad spectrum here? What about people that say, you know, like, you're drug free, but you use marijuana every day. Uh-huh. Is that drug free? Is that help performance? Does that help recovery? Does that help? Yeah, I think it does. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily wrong, right? Like if I think eventually, like just as the years goes by, obviously there will be more and more new designer steroids and yeah. you know, use like peds. Um, and it'll just have to be this catch up game, right? Like. I think it'll be very clear. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think it'll be clear that people that are cheating over time, um, if they do it long enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, like for example, like Lance Armstrong, right? Like he got tested how many times in the past? You know. But eventually, yeah. you know, like <laughs> they continue to compete, which is, uh, I guess, that also kind of like is like, well, if he would have just stopped at that time, he would have been, you know, number one by far, no failed drug tests if, if the mm-hmm. system works. Like I understand both both sides of, of that, um, but you know, with with all the new stuff and the new gear usage, I, I could only say with the rules that we have, this is what I expect people to to follow. And if you don't, then um, you know, just don't do tested. Right. Yeah, I see. it's like uh, we can't police every little detail because it's still kind of growing at a rapid rate, like you said. And I think there was even like a supplement that, that it had like a steroid called I think it was Stanazol and like kids were taking it from supplement shops and, you know, having mass epidemic, you know, just shutdowns of, of from taking like a large amount because they were like, oh, this is working. And then little did they know they were actually taking, you know, an anabolic steroid. And, you know, it, it's it's crazy how like underregulated that side of the world is. And that's where I guess like as a lifter, you know, whether you are tested or untested at the end of the day you know be careful with what you choose to do with your body and you know what you do research in because you just never know what what might happen there but yeah like like you said there's no way to like perfectly police it and you know we'll just have to see how this kind of uh, change into going into PA or going into USFL, how these uh, enactments kind of work. Um, so then like, I guess like uh, what we can expect from you, Chance, at least is look, looking towards PAs kind of, you know, in the near future and then potentially in the far future, maybe you'll either end up moving up or something or coming back to the USAPL in, in regular fashion and then seeing what happens from that, right? Yeah, I, I can only see, you know, right now, like the, the, the future that's, you know, directly in front of us. Uh, and what I see is, is, probably powerlifting America being an avenue for people that want to get to worlds and want that as an option. Uh, and then everybody else that doesn't really care too much about it, then, you know, they'll stick with USA powerlifting and I'm sure it'll be great. You know, I, I don't, I don't really have anything negative to say about either. Uh, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I, I didn't like um, about all of this was it seemed like USA powerlifting was immediately trying to smear like the new affiliate 
because of like the breakup and so like yeah. there's a lot of like propaganda to me that kind of is like okay like i don't know that this was necessary but i feel like it worked <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it worked exactly yeah and and you know that's where like i guess the we'll, we'll kind of wait until the pettiness subsides and you know kind of calms down and and you know sees what happens uh, moving forward um that that being said um uh, to kind of change up the the mood and scenery i know uh, you're yeah. an avid gamer chance uh, i know super smash is one of your games of choice and and to give you kind of my background I, I was i was more of a melee player as as you may know and uh i think uh Back then, when we uh, I did enter some tournaments and compete, and it was it was a good time. I, I think I was only like decent at best. I was a Marth main, and uh, you know, learning all the wave landing, wave dashing techniques, and all of that L canceling. I'm sure you're familiar. But then yeah. uh, once kind of uh, Ultimate came out, I, I played more casually, and uh, it was harder to keep up. I would say, but um, like, what if what was your experience kind of getting into playing Smash or video games in general, and who do you main? I'm sure you you played like with your group of friends in like junior high or uh -huh. or back then, you know, like and that's most of the time how people get into those games. Like when they get older, they find some sort of competitive outlet. Um, and, you know, like powerlifting is my 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 main, you know, competitive outlet. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like what do you do in the time where, you know, like you're hurt or you want to have something else to to have as a, a hobby outside of this hobby <laughs> that's your sport that you compete yeah. in that is like all of your life right like there's times where you're beat up and you don't you know can't do some physical you know game you know physical sport event or anything like that and you want a, a game or outlet like that to play um you know i played in like junior high and yeah. i had a, like a bunch of friends who played like melee and brawl and so like that was where i started um but melee, melee is the real, real one. That one's the the, the tech. The real tech is is on that game. Yeah, people don't even know. Uh, like for those of you that don't know, there's even like a four hour documentary on melee, like on YouTube. Yeah. You can watch for free, and it's it goes literally in depth of like how some of those uh, pro gamers you see today, like what their background was, and some of those guys like they make a full time living just streaming and playing now. And I think it's insane because you know myself being Korean, like. 10 years ago, you know, you'd, you'd hear from either parents or watch on TV. Oh, that, that person's son's playing games. Like that's taboo. Like they're not going to go nowhere in life. Like, you know, why are they playing video games, wasting their life? And then five years ago, it's like, they're starting to, you know, really pick up. They're getting like apartments for these teams, you know, personal trainers for these teams. And then like one or two years ago, now you look at the media and you're seeing these pro gamers come onto those Korean, you know, celebrity shows as a celebrity and, you know, awkwardly kind of uh, uh, participating in those games. Cause uh, I don't know if you've ever watched any type of Korean game show chats, but they're very like vibrant and they get all these random celebrities to come in. And I like their format. Would, would, something, uh, would Squid Game count? I guess that would count as like a very morbid version <laughs> of it, but, but essentially like uh, more, more of their games are very like um, lighthearted or just like kind of like, uh, purposely meant to be awkward for the celebrities to answer certain questions or just kind of get to know them. And now you see gamers on there and I think it's such a cool like evolution. So for, for you, uh, like, would you say ultimate is your game of choice during your kind of break time? Yeah, I don't play any other games. I kind of have time to play games and games like that take up a lot of the time as it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimate, ultimate's fun. I have a couple, like few friends that I, uh, that I definitely play with, you know, whenever I can, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's a game like that. It takes a lot of like practice and like oh, eye hand coordination, movement stuff, practicing. Uh, and if you don't keep up with it, it's difficult. So I'm going to try to play a little bit here and there. Yeah. And then, and that's what makes me forget and take for granted when you kind of bring a controller to, let's say, an older person or someone who doesn't play like a console game and they're like, you know, awkwardly trying to like move both hands at the same time and like move directions. And, and you realize, oh, this is not easy. Like this is something you and I had ingrained since junior high and like these, uh, you know, other people who haven't played, it's very difficult. Uh, who are your mains for Smash? Uh, so my like basically my main in Smash that I'm probably going to stick to for a long time is Pac-Man. Really? Okay. In I, Ultimate? That, yeah, I haven't, uh, I don't know too many uh, like Pac-Man players in my friend group. So it's, it's cool to hear kind of you play someone uh, unique, I suppose. What kind of drew you to playing Pac-Man? He's a campy like zoner character uh -huh. uh, with a lot of setups and traps and stuff like that. So it's like known as like one of the more difficult characters to play in terms of like learning the game because he's just uh -huh. a weird character. 
Uh, but yeah, he's traps and like a campy character. <laughs> that sounds exactly like the the type of play I would hate to play against. Yeah. <laughs> You'd probably shut yep. my play style out completely. But just defensive, yeah. just defensive wall. Exactly. Well, but one of these days, uh, you and I will we'll get a chance to to play some Smash. But I'll have to to uh, brush off some rust and you know get some practice in because I'm sure you'll absolutely run circles around me. But Mark, Mark isn't too bad in, in Ultimate now. I think uh, Lucina. Oh, he got buffs recently. I know mm -hmm. Lucina is like a lot of people's preferred choice over him. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, uh, it, it's definitely different from you know melee. But I feel like they try to uh, balance everyone a little bit better. And even when they come out with these new characters, that's the cool thing too is they're always going to have some of those DLC updates. So I'm, I'm curious to see when when the ultimate kind of phase dies down and if there's the next like smash that comes out after that. Um, but but other than that, I mean, what what like uh, is that kind of what takes up you know, your little recovery time for yourself? Like, are there anything, any other things you do for yourself, like for, for recovery or like how beat up do you feel from training like uh, throughout a, a typical week? I think it's more of like prep, actual like comp prep where I'm actually beat up. Uh -huh. Outside of prep, I try to like that. Like, so I want to talk about this on our actual podcast. Probably uh -huh. one, one of them with you probably um, would be great. Uh, in off season, like the way that people say, like this is what should be in an off season versus this is what shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be in the off season. Um, you know, like there's there's so much of that that is kind of like okay, this is person to person thing, or this is like variation. Like, and you should be doing this variation or this variation. But yeah. the, the biggest thing for me is how I have to train. So in prep, I'm training hard. I am like beat up. I know I'm gonna be beat up, and I'm gonna push things. I'm gonna get you know stressed gonna have all of this that I have to deal with after that right like the off season is literally me trying to get back to normal make sure yeah. nothing hurts make sure I'm good make sure all of these things are managed and do everything I can to keep the strength up as high as I can closer to that while building more mus muscle mass holding as much as I can and then go to the the next prep and you know do it all over again <laughs> I see. My, my secondary question then would be, do you feel like during co like a competition prep, uh, not just because of the training in itself, but just that stress demand or that pressure of like, I have a deadline, I have something I have to build, and maybe even these numbers or milestone ranges that you're expecting of yourself, do you feel like that type of pressure also dampens or puts more difficulty on the recovery aspect? Mm, yeah, I think it definitely does, depending on the situation. Uh, like, you know, for example, right, like if this last meet, I was trying to develop the American record deadlift, I knew yeah. like some of the numbers that I would have to be doing in training to go into that. So yeah, I definitely think that can um, like play a role in how beat up you are, because if you're aiming for this one thing at a specific meet, and then nothing else matters in this meet, well, yeah, you know, definitely can, you know, dig into recovery, especially on that you're getting hyper focused on one thing. I see. Then, uh, like, what as kind of like a closing piece of advice for mm -hmm. you know our, our listeners out there, like when when uh, I you seem like from your background and just kind of getting to talk to you, like you were not the naturally gifted, super strong guy, like off day one. You know, you seem like someone who had done it for a while and then had to really specialize and take your time to develop all three of your lifts individually. Obviously, deadlift was the lift that was naturally more uh, like in your favor, but like, what would be your advice be to like these younger, you know, lifters out there listening that, you know, they feel stumped. They're kind of out of stagnate and, you know, it is, it is discouraging. And I think a lot of people get burned out at that point. Like, how would you uh, kind of encourage them to move through that and, you know, see the bigger picture and push through? So I, I will keep it real with people um, because I, I believe like, it depends, like, so if we if we want to say that X lifter, you know, 21 year old really wants to be number one in powerlifting, yeah. you know, at this point now, like we realize like what it takes to get there and what it will demand what the standard from you. Is. Yeah. yeah, the standard, what it will demand from you, what what will it mean for you to beat Sean? Right. Like mm -hmm. say for example, like you want to be a top level 83, you know, cool. You have Sean, Delaney Wallace, Russell that are not getting weaker. <laughs> Yeah, that none of these people. Yeah, like you have to be able to beat these people, and you're gonna have to, you know, actually out. It's not even getting stronger than them. You have to out progress them, you know, month to month, session to session, and put more time and effort into that. Like that is that's the reality of it, right? Um, I think it's getting more clear on where, like, 
where we're going to end up being like when the whole whole powerlifting you know 20 2010 to 2030 is fleshed uh -huh. out like the meta of that right yeah what who is all the top you know what were they doing what did they have to like, compromise in their life to get to that point how much focus did they have to do how much you know hours a day did they have to put into their training you know for some people it may not be worth it to start you know yeah. really focusing on powerlifting as their life goal at 28 years old to be you know top top 10 83 when you're just now starting lifting weights like that's the reality like you can like i i don't want to like bullshit and, and say like oh no like you yeah. definitely could do it it's like no probably not but if you like powerlifting and you care about the sport of powerlifting and you want to just get better and get strong as you can while keeping as a hobby yeah i think that's super you know like that's that's awesome like it's the same as any like for me right like mm -hmm. me playing smash or you playing smash and like caring about like you know how the scene of that is is and the community yeah. of that is like and playing competitively like sure you know you're not going to be number one like you're not going to be you know the top player of you know but you still enjoy it you still enjoy the game you still enjoy you know talking about it with your friends or you know having x you know meeting at the gym or you know wherever it is right so all those things can be true at the same time and and i i wish that some people that i yeah. i've seen at the earlier stages of powerlifting really would have continued because there's so many people that i think if they would have wanted to dedicate everything to yeah. it they might be you know right up there with sean they might right be you know be right there with you know you know michael c and you yeah. know perkins and and then the 74s maybe right but like the fact of the matter is is like everybody has lives and things that they have to do in in their life to like keep their like actually be a healthy you know hobby and not an addiction that ruins yeah. your life instead of you know like like powerlifting could be an addiction without you training eight hours a day if it negatively affects your life and you're really focusing on so many things in powerlifting that it doesn't matter right like if you're not going to devote this everything to powerlifting maybe it's not worth spending six hours in the gym you know <laughs> right yeah yeah it's That's, those are isn't all that a books. textbook addition addiction right i would i would say that seems borderline yeah like right out of addiction like what's even the like mm -hmm. why is that even necessary unless obviously you're one of those like people who just hang out at the gym and you like socializing and just yeah. spending a lot of time but then you know at that point it's like good on you for having six hours to spend of your day right. on that but uh not everyone else can uh, afford to do so and i i think uh yeah like like that's that's kind of where i've felt myself in training as well, where like, I kind of came full circle. And now, like, as you see, I just train at a commercial gym, usually purely due to just immediate proximity and access and cost. So I like, it's nicer because I can go in, just tune everyone out because there's no obligation to really have to socialize, especially in a commercial gym setting, uh, unless some people like want to come up to you and talk to you, but usually like no one bothers me. And, uh, and I feel like now I've kind of found that original love I had for, for just training in general as a young high schooler who didn't even know about competition or anything like that. It was like, I just do it because I always see myself doing it and want to do it. I mean, the competition kind of becomes that enhancement on top of it if you want to do it as a hobby, like you said. And most of the people I feel like I work with now, that's where they're at. They're not trying to be top five, top 10. Um, they want to stay healthy and do something that engages them physically and mentally and, you know, can, can keep up with while they have a full-time career or something like that. So, you know, I think uh, in, in, in that sense, um, you know, it's, it's very cool to see like how your journeys come to here, you know, all these, uh, all these things that led you to kind of be here. And I think for a lot of the younger, you know, lifters listening, it'll be very helpful for them to hear from you to just hear the truth. Like, Hey, like if you want to be at that top level, like hopefully you're at a perspective level where that's possible, keep at it. But otherwise, like, don't take it too seriously, enjoy the journey and just have fun with it, you know, learn from it what you can. Um, and, and, you know, one, one thing I'll, I'll add that maybe you'll, you'll find interesting is I don't know how in tune with the Texas high school powerlifting scene you are, but I've uh, at, at U of H uh, we've volunteered a lot at these competitions as referees. So we get to travel around and just go to these small towns with uh, high school meets and you see like genetic standouts like all the time. And the, the crazy thing is, you know, especially at U of H too, we do like this thing at the beginning of the semester where, like all like all the student clubs like organize at the rec center and you kind of walk in a loop and see oh this is the greek life or oh this is the dental club or whatever and we have a lot of these thspa high school lifters come and you know ask about it almost like none of them end up joining long term and it's crazy that a lot of these kids like 
they kind of see it as, oh, it was a sport I did in high school. I don't really care after high school. Um, and, and so many of them, I'm like, man, like if you even remotely dedicated yourself and had better, you know, programming coaching strategies, like you would be very, very competitive. And you see all these kids in high school just fizzling out. Do you, do you see it almost in the way of, you know, a five, six-year-old kid that, you know, their parents put them in t-ball and uh. they play <laughs> and they like hate it and they're like kicking the grass in the outfield and like there's like winter snacks you know when are we gonna get the <laughs> ice cream and like do you feel like that like they're almost like they're forced into it and they're like nah i don't want to do this and they're just there and they don't really care about it i i think those high school kids uh i, I don't know if it's as much of that because it, to me they kind of do it in high school where it's like oh they played football and like so this is what i noticed a lot of the high schools half of them are like Football's everything to us. We don't even want to bother funding powerlifting. So don't even think about it. The other half are like, oh, this will enhance powerlifting. Wrestling will enhance powerlifting or, or powerlifting and wrestling will enhance football. So why not put them in the off season for those football kids to do that? So those are the schools where I see their development is like obviously a lot better. Like the smaller schools, you'll see them be given like hand-me-down shirt, bench shirts that don't even fit them. I'm just like, they might as well compete raw at this point. Um, and I feel like they do it just because they're already strong and play football or something like that. And then they just decide to quit because they're not pursuing football or anything. Um, but then like, you're totally right. Like I've, I've seen studies where kids that specialize in sports early, like the burnout rate is very high by the time they're 13, 14, and they don't even really want to play or do that sport anymore, even though they're pretty gifted at it, having played it at such a young age. So I think, I think, uh, your experience that you shared with me was probably the more healthier one where you get exposed to a lot of different sports young as you're young see what you kind of gravitate towards and then maybe specialize a little bit as you get older and just have a better conception of what competing means to you what winning or losing means or just like what you know aspiring to be a professional athlete might even you know the sacrifice that comes with it and then seeing how far do you do you want to take with it versus you know focusing on academics or career or whatever you know what i just thought of that in Texas, you know, I, I know that Texas powerlifting, Texas high school powerlifting is, is thought of as, you know, huge and mm -hmm. like, relatively speaking, it is, you know, especially in the US, um, Texas high school football is, you know, giant, but it's always going to be bottlenecked by the fact that people, you know, care about football way more. Yeah. Like, no matter what, right, like you said, the funding will go like, oh, as a like a supplementary cost to, you know, powerlifting to help the football side, you know, in the off season. Right, but that's all it'll ever be. Yeah, <laughs> like Doomer and Blackpilled as it can get. But um, like I, I, I'm, that sounds about right. Even though like Texas is great, I think Wisconsin's similar because they do yeah. care about football. Um, but they they have really good high school you know scene. Um, I don't know what California is like in terms of that. I, I would imagine it's probably not as much. Yeah, in, I don't relatively much. speaking. Yeah, but uh, who who is gonna be the one to give more funding and try to build that up. Cause otherwise I don't think it's, it's going to work that way. It's all, it's all going to be social media, dude. It's going to be like Instagram and TikTok <laughs> is the only way that powerlifting is going to grow. I, I think though, I guess the positive way to look at it there is, uh, and, and I'll, I'll add to what you just said as well. Like, some of the schools, I see them developing their own like club, like internally, because the kids are like, we see powerlifting on social media and we want to make the club. So I've seen that happen at some schools. True. Um, and then uh, maybe you could say in a positive sense, because we're so football oriented, at least all these other secondary sports get pulled up because our football program is so deep in that our just like our state's focus on sports and physical activity is already going to be way higher than other schools. I think our music programs, like our band is obviously going to scale with football, our orchestra programs in Texas. When I was in orchestra, we were told like Texas has a competitive orchestra program comparatively to any other state out there. So I think in that sense, like, Maybe there's some positives there. Um, I know like one school that comes to mind, I don't know the name of the high school, but it's where Mikey P, school of Mikey P, uh, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, he went to. He said essentially like the last two years uh, while he was powerlifting in high school, they had Jailhouse Strong uh, uh, come to his school and he was their coach. So he completely transformed their program. And obviously compared to any other powerlifting coach that's assigned that role, he was obviously someone who was more suitable to really change their program. I think uh, uh, Mikey, 
Nike's uh, one of his stories is like his very first meet. They didn't even his coaches at the time didn't even tell him you're supposed to pause on bench press. So he was completely unaware and just bombed out that meet because he just didn't even know. And then uh, this guy uh, comes in and completely changes the program. Their team goes to state, whatever for whatever that's worth in the high school scene, and they do pretty well for the few years that he was there. So I think it kind of uh, when you go to the high school meets, one thing you'll notice is there's like one team where everybody looks like they know what they're doing, and then every other team, all the kids are just like running around like uh, when I was refing this kid timed out and I was like hey man you timed out you gotta you gotta get off the platform he like threw his belt down he's like are you kidding me and then he just left and I was like I don't know where your coach is if he didn't tell you that you're supposed to come out on time but I'm sorry man that's the rule it's like I don't know what else to tell you but that yeah. you see that all the time and like uh it's it's a little scary honestly because the kids that are spotting are usually like the JV volunteers from other sports and like every meet I go to I'm like have you guys spotted before 70 percent of the time they're like no <laughs> i'm like we're in for a long ride today with some 500 plus like equipped squatters like geez and they're you know like they they get those like old cage power racks from the the school weight room and they pull it out nowadays for you know people that don't know wes sunker he's uh, owner of texas strength systems wes usually goes to a lot of these high school meets now and provides equipment for them which is much safer obviously but yeah a lot of these meets the the production value is very very budget a uh, low budget so it's a little scary but yeah, I mean, we'll like I'm hoping to see that this kind of sparks the growth and interest, at least uh, like individually in the younger kids. Like even if they can't do it at high school, they can go to their local commercial gym or a local powerlifting gym and get started. And then maybe in college, they decide I can be pretty strong or I can at least continue to do this while I'm pursuing my academic and, and academics and, you know, still get stronger. So uh, hopefully we'll kind of see the, the sport continue to grow from here. But other than that, Chance, uh, thanks so much for, you know, kind of sharing everything about, um, you know, yourself today. Um, are there any other like last comments or words you want to leave with the audience in terms of just, you know, anything about yourself or just anything about our, the future of our podcast? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I would say is I'm uh, super happy to be one of the coaches with, uh, with you. Uh, you know, it's been here recently that I've came on to the Nori team and, um, you know, I, I've, I don't know everybody yet, you know, fully. And I think this is good. Like, I obviously know you a little bit, but I haven't had a full sit down conversation with you. This is one of yeah. the first times that we've had. Um, I think that everybody has been very welcoming. Uh, and I really actually felt like, Hey, it's not just like, I'm one of the coaches and I'm like with the team. And so I felt really good. Um, and I think you guys have done a good job to make me feel that way. Yeah, I appreciate that chance. I think uh, all of us are re really excited, especially when we, uh, you know, made the decision to have you come on board. And we're, we're looking forward to seeing kind of where the team grows, you know, where, where we can take this coming into the new year. And um, yeah, like, uh, and for all of you guys listening, I uh, will be filming these hopefully for every individual coach on the team so that everyone gets an opportunity to just hear about who each of the coaches are and their background and kind of their story so that some of you guys can, you know, maybe relate to that and, and uh, be able to just understand each of our uh, coaches a little bit better. So so Chance, once again, uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to speaking with you again. Awesome, man. It was a good conversation. Thank you. For sure.